Let's open with prayer. Father, thank you for our time here this morning. Lord, I pray for those who are off island that you would give them safety and thank you for these that are here. Lord, um, as we open your word, may we hear from your spirit as uh, you teach us what you want us to know. And I thank you for the time I've been able to spend in study and prepare and uh, just ask that you would help me to share only those things which would be beneficial to these that are here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, as we've been looking on Sundays at the letter to the Corinthian believers, I hope that you have been taking time during the week to read and absorb that whole letter. This body of believers in Corinth, boy, they were, they were a handful. They were certainly very mixed up and confused. And um, what it all boiled down to is that they were looking at things from their own viewpoint, their own perspective. And today we're going to be looking at having a divine viewpoint. Last May when we met, the last time we talked about having the divine nature that was given to us in Christ. And here today we want to look at the divine viewpoint. Those Corinthian believers, they were a group that were Greek, most of them, and they were following Christ as they perceived Christ through their own human philosophies and experiences that they had had. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. And let's unpack some of the things from this letter. Paul is addressing these believers about the way that they're thinking. And in chapter 1, Paul says, For indeed, Jews ask for a sign, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, because he didn't come the way they expected him to. And to the Greeks, it was just foolishness. But to those who have believed, they see Christ as the power of God and the wisdom of God. In verse 10, it says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. And then look at verse 12 of chapter 2. And you can follow along as I read through verse 16. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Verse 14, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he is, who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And as I was reading through 1 Corinthians, that just struck me 
that we have the mind of Christ. That's one of the most incredible truths that I've seen in scripture because I don't often feel like I have the mind of Christ. <laughs> I feel like I do my own thing pretty much dancing over here in the hayfields or something. And so to have the mind of Christ is something that is pretty spectacular that he has blessed us with. Paul talks about the natural man versus the spiritual man in verses 14. One of the Bible dictionaries that I looked up said it this way. The term natural man is used, and this is a quote, pertaining to behavior which is typical of human nature in contrast with that which is under the control of God's spirit. It's unspiritual, worldly, and natural, end quote. We are born in that natural fleshly state. Um, it's carnal, it's sinful, it is separate from God. And God can have no part of that type of man. And we can't have any part of him in that nature that we have. So he set about making us a spiritual person instead. Well, how do we become a spiritual person? Well, we've seen before in John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that we must be spiritually born from above. And as believers, we are made new creatures, made spiritually alive, and we are able to now understand the things of God as he places his spirit within us as our helper and our interpreter. And though we have been made a new creature, having a human spirit birthed from above, we still have that sin nature within us. We are now dual-natured. We have that sin nature, the carnal nature, and or human nature, and then we have the spiritual nature or the God nature within us. But the good news is, is that we've been freed from that old sin nature the authority that it had over us. And we can say no to any sin that comes our way, any temptation that comes our way, because God provides a way of escape, as we see, we are going to see later in um, our sermons that ser series that Pastor Abe is doing. In chapter 10 of this letter, he talks about that he provides a way of escape so that we will be able to endure it. It's still going to happen. It's still going to be there, but we can say no to it. There is no um, reason why we have to say yes to sin. Galatians tells us in chapter 5, verse 16 to 17, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So we have the spirit and we have the flesh, and they are going opposite directions. They don't travel together. They are in opposition to one another. And I'm sure we're all familiar with Isaiah chapter 55, 8, where it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so also are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God doesn't have to learn anything. He's omniscient. 
But our thoughts, we have to learn how he thinks, what he wants us to do. And we can't walk under our own direction and be pleasing to God because we are going opposite direction from him. The desires of our flesh are set against the spirit. And there is no way for both our flesh and his spirit to be control of us at any given time. It will either be him or it'll be me. The amazing thing is God made it possible for us to make a change. His grace has provided everything. And back in chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, were some other verses that struck me. And it says, in him, in everything, we were enriched in him. In Christ Jesus, we have been given the grace of God so that in everything, we were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. Now, this letter to the Corinthian church, we're going to see as the Sundays go on that they had a lot of problems within the church, a lot of division. They had a lot of confusion. And they had a lot of um, not understanding that God had given them their own purpose and their own plan and their own race to run. And they were trying to take what other people had. They wanted what the other people had. So in here he says, in this first, first chapter, he's addressing it right away when he says, in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge, and even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that you are not lacking in any gift. He's already addressing that as he begins his letter. And in that knowledge, we need to win. We can win every battle with temptation or sin. We just need to reframe our thinking and look at it from a different perspective. So often we sin without giving it a thought. It's, we're just walking by our own flesh, and pretty soon we've committed this sin and that sin, and it looks good, so we take it. Or it feels good, so we do it. Or it is pleasing, so we fulfill it. All of those things we have to take into the knowledge of Christ because that's what we have been given since we are in him. And it's where verses like 2 Corinthians 10.5 come to the rescue. If we have that in our storehouse to draw from, um, it says we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Those words for everything and enriched that we looked at in verse 5 of chapter 1 literally mean that God has, in totality, as a whole, given us knowledge. He has made all of it available to us so that we can draw from it. It's not in small doses. It's not just a little bit of knowledge today and a little bit of knowledge tomorrow. It is all right here in the Word of God. And the word enriched means he richly supplied, abundantly supplied. It wasn't just a little bit doled out. It was richly and abundantly supplied in every way. And because of that, we can and we must develop a divine perspective rather than hang on to our human viewpoint. And we do that by absorbing the mind of Christ. 
all knowledge available to us. We must learn to replace what the world has taught us with what God's true wisdom is. We're to renovate our mind. Look at Romans 12, 1 through 2, 1 through 2 with me. We probably have this memorized by now. I know I've covered it a couple of times in here already, and I just love these verses. But look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, sisters, <laughs> by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The word there for renew means to take out the old and replace it with something new, not just something new of the same caliber, it's something new and superior to what we already had. It's an upgrade for our minds. Just like our computers need upgrades all the time, so does our brain. And as we think about God's divine viewpoint, that divine um, perspective is superior to ours because ours is human and his is God's. And so the quality and the accuracy that we can gain by replacing, taking out the old human viewpoint and replacing it with a divine viewpoint will make a huge difference in our life. And then it provides choices of thought. We are in, as we are in God's word, we will have choices to make. Will we believe it or will we not? Will we accept it as truth or will we not? And there's a term called faith rest. Faith, or excuse me, faith transfer. And there's a, a, a process that our brain goes through when we take in information. We take it in on the left lobe of our brain. That's how our brain functions. On the left side, we take in information. And at some point in time, we have to decide, are we going to believe that for our life or are we not? And when we believe it for our life and we take it as truth, we will move it to the right lobe of our brain, which is where our actions and our emotions and all of our life, our soul, really develops out of that. So we take that and we faith transfer it. We put faith to it and we go, yes, I believe it, and I'm going to base my life on it. And we leave that human perspective behind and we gain divine perspective or divine viewpoint. And it's at that intersection of thought that we have to decide as we're reading God's word, is this truth? Do I really believe it? Will I base my life on it? Or will I base it on the wisdom of man? Wisdom of man, who's in your ear? Who's on your screen? Excuse me. Um, who do we listen to? Who's, who do we let speak to our souls? You know, it was not too long ago that church leaders were 
listening to the so-called wisdom of man, and we're told to shut the doors. And every church in America shut the doors for a little while. <laughs> but the problem with listening to man was that that was opposed to God's word. God's word says in Hebrews, we're not to forsake the assembling together, but we are to meet as believers. And streaming became easy, and it was beneficial for a time. And God's divine viewpoint says the body of Christ is a group of members with different jobs and provisions and gifts. And we're not, if we're not assembling together, we can't use those gifts. We're not able to build the body of Christ up. Now, when we think back to the last couple of years, do we think that that was the wisdom of man that caused all of that to happen? Or do we think there was maybe a little spiritual battle going on underneath that said, if we can just get them to shut the doors, it'll be so hard for people to go back in the doors when they're open. And it may have been a God's way of weeding out the wheat from the chaff for a time where he needed to build the body up again. But if we're not meeting together, we are not able to use our spiritual gifts for one another to build up the body of Christ into a spiritual house. Do we believe him when he says that we're not to show partiality to one over another? Or do we find ourselves gravitating to the wealthy but ignoring the poor? Do we, like the Corinthians, follow a speaker over the other speakers? Some followed Apollos, some followed Paul, some followed Christ. Do we have God's viewpoint versus uh, when it comes to immorality? Do we call sin, sin? Do we look at God's viewpoint on lying? Because, by the way, there are no little white lies. Every lie is an abomination to the Lord. What about gossip or slander? I know we're all guilty of it at one point or another. Sometimes we use it in the form of a prayer request. Or sometimes we use it in a form of warning others about a person that we don't want them to be around. And then sometimes we're just passing along information that others are already talking about anyway, so what's the big deal? Well, it's all sin, and it's all human viewpoint. Ladies, we're not to mold ourselves after the human viewpoint of this world, but we are to take on the divine nature. You know, Israel, over the centuries, they began to fall away from the Lord and then be brought back to the Lord and fall away from the Lord and be brought back to the Lord. But in Isaiah 28, 9 through 13, God is trying to teach Israel how to recover from their own thought processes because their own thought processes didn't accept God's processes to think through. And he found them living by the flesh. Even the priests were not keeping the law. They weren't teaching the law. They were getting drunk. And as the people saw their leaders doing these things, they began to follow suit, not walking with God, 
or even according to the law. God gives them the remedy through the prophet Isaiah, telling them in verse 13 of chapter 28 what they need to do in order to renovate their minds. They need to look at his word order on order, line upon line, a little here and a little there, precept upon precept. Those things that he wants us to do to realign our thought process. And he says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 that he's given pastor teachers to help us to understand what those are. And we learn sometimes word by word, line upon line, thought for thought. Sometimes we learn just um, an overall concept or a principle. Those things are there to teach us how to change what is going on in our mind. We have years in the world. Some of us more years than others in the world. But all of those thoughts the world has taught us and the wisdom of man has to be siphoned through God's wisdom. This is the mind of Christ, this word of God, and we have to be siphoning everything through that, filtering everything so that we are renovating our mind. And there will always be stumbling blocks. These Corinthians believers had never matured in their walk with God because they were so hung up on their own way of thinking and their own philosophers that they were following. And we can't get stuck in that same thing. We need to watch for those stumbling blocks to what is human viewpoint and what is God viewpoint. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3 Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. And I wonder sometimes, the heart of God, does he look at us and say, I want you to know so much more than you are taking in, but you're just not willing. You're just not doing it. But thank goodness he is so merciful and gracious to us that he allows us that grace to come back to him over and over. We are still fleshly ourselves. And up in verse 14 of chapter 2, it refers to the natural man. And the word there is soulish. They were separated and operated from their soul rather than from the spirit. And Paul says, I should be able to give you some meaty doctrine by now, but I can't because you're still babies. You're still infant in your thought processes. You're still fleshly, walking like mere men. And when he said that, he wasn't saying that as a compliment. You're walking like mere men when you actually have the mind of Christ to develop and to walk by. Paul's calling them big babies, walking like the rest of the world. When they have the power of the Holy Spirit within them to think different and to be different. You see, having a divine viewpoint it would have us thinking a lot differently. We would be forgiving 
others. Just as Christ forgave us, even when they don't deserve it, because frankly, we didn't deserve it, <laughs> because we've been forgiven. It would have us, a divine viewpoint would have us gracing others, because he extends his grace to us all the time, taking the role of responsibility to provide in a relationship, extending his grace regardless of whether or not someone earns it from us or not. His viewpoint would also have us look at events and circumstances in our lives very differently than we do. Through the eyes of an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, loving God, we can trust him at his word that he will work all things together for our good that he has a plan for each one of us. There's a path and a purpose wrapped up in the promises of God who never fails. If we could keep that perspective, if we could keep his character and attributes in mind, then any event that happens in our life will not throw us off track because we will be looking at it from his perspective he sees a much bigger picture than we do. Certainly, if we had a divine viewpoint, it would make waiting easier. I don't know about you. I get a little impatient sometimes. I want him to come back now. Right now, Lord. Can you come back now? <laughs> but if I would just rest in faith that he's got it taken care of, I wouldn't be fussing and fretting over anything. If I had a divine viewpoint, I would recognize there is a bigger picture and I would just trust him with it. It's not um, that hard to do when we look at who he is, but it's very hard to do from our human viewpoint because from a human viewpoint, that looks like a very big mountain to climb. From God's viewpoint, it's nothing. If I had a divine viewpoint, I would work from a vantage of wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge that is applied. It's put into action. And he's abundantly and richly supplied his knowledge to us through the mind of Christ. So I would have that wisdom to draw from. I would be able to look at things and see a situation and see how God might be working there and have wisdom in how to react to it rather than just throwing my arms up and cry. So what happens to our minds when we reject his perspectives and we decide to keep our own? Well, all I can say, ladies, is we better beware. Because <laughs> if we're working from our own perspective, we're going to make wrong choices. Romans 1, chapter or chapter 1, verses 28 through 32, reads this. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, 
arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. They're without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That is quite the list that we work under our human viewpoint. Yes, that was Romans 1, 28 through 32. And then Romans 5, 8, excuse me, let me get this out. Romans 8, 5 through 8 warns us that those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God's not going to control our minds to think like his. He's given us his word. He's filled us with his spirit. He's shown us what his love and his grace and his peace and his joy look like. But whether or not we take advantage of those gifts, he leaves that completely to us. So it's going to require us to decide at that intersection of faith, do we believe it or do we not, a new way of thinking. And yes, that means a tearing down of fortresses. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3-5 through five, says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I guess I should ask what fortresses in your life need to be destroyed? This flesh is full of battles. Some are simple skirmishes, and others are a fight to the death. There are plenty of things in my flesh that I have to fight to the death daily. Thought life, habits, um, lines straddled in what might, we might deem as kind of a safe zone. It's not really bad. It's not really good, but it's just kind of there. But we know that there is no straddle, straddling zone when it comes to living by the flesh or living by the spirit. The more we're in God's word, learning the mind of Christ, the more we will see that gray areas are truly black and white. There are not gray areas. Things are cut and dried in God's word. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing, dividing to the soul and the marrow. There are certain things in my life I've had to give up. They weren't terribly bad. One of them was looking in home decor magazines. I could I had to stop looking at them. I had to stop. I had subscriptions to some magazines. I had to stop the subscriptions. Why? Because they were bad? No, they were wholesome 
clean, beautiful things. But what happened as I was looking through those magazines is that I became discontented with the things I had. I started wanting what they had. <laughs> and I started making choices and decisions based on that rather than what on God wanted for me. And having gratitude is so important in our life. And God really brought me to my knees over that, especially after moving here and having given up everything to come with my suitcase um, to look around in my house. And I had things. I didn't recognize any of them. They weren't mine. <laughs> And they belonged to somebody else that left them there because everything was furnished. Um, but that attitude of gratitude had to be developed in me. And gratitude turns what we have into enough. And as we learn to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, as 2 Peter 3.18 instructs us to do, we will find that we begin to develop an attitude that there is no fear. There is no confusion. There is no timidity in sharing Christ. We learn humility in his word and selflessness, less of our way or the highway, and more of what would Jesus do. We'll have all knowledge to handle any situation, even handling sorrow and loss. You know, as Bobby's mother passed away this summer, we loved her a lot. But we were assured by God's word that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And what we saw on that last few weeks of her life of frailty on a bed unable to talk the last week or so, was completely changed in an instant for her. And afterward, when we called the hospice workers that had been coming in daily to work with her and things, um, we called them after she had passed that morning. And they came that, after, and at that morning, they came a little while later and one of them commented, it is so different entering the house of a believer than it is entering the house of one who's lost an unbeliever. Because what was for us as believers a burden lifted, for unbelievers it's a burden multiplied. And so they recognized that difference and we felt that difference. We felt God's comfort um, completely. But it was having the mind of Christ as we walked through that valley of the shadow of death that allowed us that comfort. He gave us divine viewpoint of where she was then and what she was experiencing that we can only hope for right now. We can't even imagine the joy that she's experiencing. But God's grace supplied that comfort for us. He is so faithful. He is a covenant keeper. He is true, and he is a savior. And the more I learn of him, the more my thinking is made new. Out with the old, in with the new, right? And as a result, we will be transformed. 
We don't want to settle for drinking milk every day. Um, 1 Corinthians what, uh, 3, 2 through 3 says they're still fleshly. But instead, we need to develop an appetite for the meat of the word. It's always fun as a young parent to try new foods on your baby. And you're probably experiencing this with Gigi, <laughs> your grandbaby, to be able to give them new foods. And I have, I think probably you all have videos of the first time you gave them something new. Um, for my granddaughter, not this one, but the other one of the other ones, they decided to give her a lemon slice one time. And oh, the faces that girl made. It's the funniest thing. But she didn't want milk. She wanted solid food. Give me something good to eat. And what did her parents give her but a lemon slice? <laughs> but then they followed that up with solid food too. She really wanted food. She'd sit on your lap, any of our, your kids, you've seen this happen. This, you're putting something in your mouth, they're on your lap, and their mouth is wide open as they're wanting a bite of it too. That's how we should be, hungry for God's word, hungry for the meat of it, to try and see what we can learn from it. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. That's what God's word does for us. We're to meditate on his word, memorize it, pray it, so that it stays with us all day long, to walk by the spirit so that we see people and situations through his lens so that we are able to extend forgiveness, we are able to extend grace to others. Because we are the ones that's made possible to do that through the mind, having the mind of Christ. We need to not grow weary in doing good. When we're weary, we'll find we are walking and carrying our own load rather than his burden. His burden is light and his yoke is easy. And you know, a yoke is two in one movement going forward in that, in that structure that is yoked together. We have to be yoked together with the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill what he wants us to know. And we need to rely on the Spirit's power. That power is amazing. Dunamis is the Greek word. It's an explosive power. It's not just a, uh, a little power. No, it's a, it's a big deal. It's the power that raised Christ from the dead. His power is divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Those walls that have been built up, he's able to tear them down. Maybe the reason we don't have good godly viewpoint is because our glasses need a little cleaning. And we know 1 John 1.9 is the key to that, right? We confess our sin and he is faithful 
to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we are studying God's word, we can learn the mind of Christ. And it's quite easy to go along with things in our life just as they are. We've been living this Christian life for a long time now. It feels kind of good. We're just kind of settled into our little patterns and we come to church and we do our Bible study and we do our daily bread and we do our devotions. And But are we growing in the knowledge? Because he's made all knowledge available to us. And I don't know about you ladies, but I don't have all knowledge known yet. So I have to keep working at it. And I don't want us to forget that it's because we freely come to him for that. He's not going to force it on us. Now, there have been times in my life when he have, has pulled me up short. <laughs> he has grabbed me by the nape of the neck and he has said, Tammy, sit down. You need to be in my word. But most of the time, he leaves that to me. He leaves that choice to me to open his word. And there are so many distractions in today's world that will take our time. I love to watch reels. And I can spend hours watching other people, dogs playing, <laughs> sloths crossing a road. That takes a long time. <laughs> I love to watch the reels. And so I have to discipline myself to say, okay, I'll only watch a few, and then I need to do something else. I need to maybe get into God's word a little bit more. Take it a little deeper. If I see something in here, you know, the whole lesson today came because I was reading in 1 Corinthians. And those verses in chapter 1, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, because he has given us gifts. Those ver verses just jumped off the page at me. And I spent two weeks looking at those verses. That was going to be our topic. And then we had the little Tammy interrupt us. And I ended up reading further and got to chapter 2 where it says, Who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And that's when it hit me. It's the divine perspective, the divine viewpoint that wraps all of that together. If we are in a divine viewpoint, that only happens under the control of the Holy Spirit, not by us deciding that this is wise, this is not wise. No, it has to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. When I decided to look at that, that's when these other verses became such a support to having the divine viewpoint. He's not going to force it on us. We have to freely come to him to choose to have his divine viewpoint be central in our thoughts. And that happens by having the Holy Spirit in control over us. So you have a spot down there at the end of your paper that says, My Commitment. And I've left an area at the bottom of your page for self-evaluation and a place where you can write in 
any commitment that you might want to make uh, before our Father, who loves you so dearly. And I hope that you will take the time to do that, that you will just take a moment and think about, God, what fortresses do you want to destroy in my life that I am allowing to be built up between walking according to your viewpoint or walking according to the human viewpoint? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for our time together. Lord, your word is so rich, and I thank you that we can have that knowledge because of Christ. We ask your um, spirit to keep, continue to teach us and continue to lead us and help us to walk in a manner worthy of pleasing you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.